This is a story from the island of Sandy, where my father came from. It's called The City Under the Sea. Now, Arthur Dearness was the finest, handsomest, strongest man in all the island of Sandy. There was nobody that could beat him when it came to feats of athletics, or of strength either. No one could lift as much as Arthur, and no one was as handsome, and all the girls smiled at him and waved, and they wished that he would take notice of them, because all of them thought they could not have a finer husband, or a better man in all of Sandy than him. Because it wasn't just that he was very handsome and very strong and athletic. He was also a good man, an honest man, a true man, a man of honour. Well, the girls would be disappointed because Arthur had eyes only for one, Clara Peace. Now, she lived just near to where Arthur lived. Arthur lived in a small croft called Corsdale. And just north of that was Northscale. And at Northscale lived Clara Peace. And he loved Clara Peace. And one day he asked her to go for a walk with him along the white sandy beaches of Sandy, which gives the island its name. And as he walked along the shore, he took her by the hands, and he went down on one knee, and he asked Clara if she would be his wife. And she wept with joy and said, Yes, 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 Arthur, I will. So she went home full of joy and happiness, and it was decided that the wedding would take place that winter. The wedding would be in December, just before Yule. Now, it was the autumn time, and the harvest had already been won from the fields. And it's a time when you get lots of small fish coming in around Orkney. And so Arthur decided to go fishing. One evening he set off with a bucket with him, and he started to knock limpets off the rocks down at a place called Hamanes. Now, he was knocking these, these limpets from the rocks, putting them in the bucket to use as bait for fishing. When he saw that there was a large, flat slab of rock that hung out over the sea, and underneath it there was a whole lot of big limpets, speckos, they called them in Sandy. And so he leant over the water, hanging down there, <clears throat> with the stone in his hand, and very carefully knocking the limpets off this rock, putting them into his bucket. It was then he heard it. It seemed to be coming from far away, some distant place. But it was a sound of music, a sound of song, a sound so sweet that Arthur, couldn't help but just lie there, listening to it, amazed at the sound, the beauty of it. It grew louder and louder. It hung in the air like a potent perfume, and it was so beautiful it filled all of Arthur's senses. He could think of nothing but this beautiful sound, beautiful song coming to him, 
swirling around him, numbing his mind. He looked down into the sea, and there, deep below him, he thought he saw a pair of blue eyes staring up at him. They were so beautiful, and they shone like diamonds. And they grew nearer and nearer, and the music was louder and louder and more enchanting than before. And Arthur stared into those eyes. And then a pair of milk-white arms broke the surface of the water, and they wrapped themselves around Arthur's neck, and they drew him down into the sea. And the light went from his eyes, and he knew no more for some time. Now, when Arthur regained consciousness, he found he was lying in the bow of a boat, and there in the stern sat the most beautiful woman that he had ever laid eyes on. She was so stunningly beautiful, I have no words for it. Her long golden hair hung down to her waist, and she wore nothing but a petticoat, and it was all sparkling with silvers and blues and greens, and it was looked like the scales of a fish, and it was twisted up into a kind of a tail, and the tail was hanging over the stern of the boat, and it was this that was propelling the boat along. And he realized he was in the middle of the ocean. There was no sign of Sandy or any of the Orkney Islands or any land indeed in any direction. There was just a vastness of blue with them and the boat on it. And he realized that this must be a mermaid and that she had enchanted him. And then he thought of Clara, Clara Peace, his love. And he knew that he must say a blessing on himself to break the spell of the mermaid. But he couldn't find the words. The words would not come to him. Now he was going to cry out and call for Clara's name. But beneath the petticoat, the mermaid had a beautiful pair of dainty white feet. And she sprang up on these feet, and she ran forward towards him, and she wrapped her arms around his neck again, and she kissed him on the lips. And when she kissed him on the lips, his eyes widened, and he stared at her, and the love for her started to grow in his heart. And then, just to make sure that the deed was done properly, the mermaid breathed into Arthur's mouth and her breath went down his throat like warm honey. And then he forgot all about Clara Peace. He forgot all about his parents, and he forgot all about Sandy. All he could think about now was the mermaid that was in front of him, and the love that he bore in his heart for her, and that love burned like a flame. Well, she went back to her position in the boat, tail over the side, propelling them along again. And Arthur now, not bearing to be parted from her even for a moment, went and sat next to her, and cuddled into her, 
and she stroked him, and she sang a quiet little song to him, as she petted him and stroked his head. And he curled up like a bairn with his head in her lap, and she stroked his hair and sang to him, and all the time she was looking upwards, looking up into the sky. By this time it was getting to be dark, and the mermaid was looking for a star, because mermaids have remarkably keen eyesight. And she saw a star, a bright star, right up in the heavens, and she positioned the boat right underneath that star. There was no way that Arthur could have seen it, but she did. And then, in a voice like clear crystal, like the sound of running water, she said, See, see, open to me, open the door to Auga. That was the first time that Arthur had heard the mermaid's name. Her name was Auga. And the sea around them, which had been calm, started to become agitated. The waves started to rise, and beneath them there opened a hole in the water like a whirlpool. And the boat dived down into it, carrying the mermaid and Arthur with it. Arthur started to panic, thinking that he was going to drown now. But then he discovered, to his amazement, that he could breathe under the water just like a fish. And Auga, the mermaid, steered the boat, steered it down to the bottom of the sea. And eventually Arthur could see that there was a town appearing before them. Larger than a town, it was a great city. And it was so beautiful. The buildings were made of crystal and coral. And it dazzled him to see it. It was so lovely. And the boat sped down to the, down to the, the city. And it glided to a halt right in the middle of a great city square, surrounded by magnificent buildings, the likes of which Arthur had never seen before. Welcome to Finn Fokahim, said Auga. This is the land where you will now live. You will live with me and with the Finn folk, and you will become a very important man down here. You will be a lord of this city a wealthy and important figure. And she led him by the hands towards a large building. Outside the door two mermaids were sitting, and they were grinding on quernstones, on hand mills. They were turning the mills and grinding. But instead of grinding corn like they would do back home in Orkney, they were dropping pearls through the hole in the middle of the top stone and grinding the pearls into fine dust that glittered beautifully. Well, they went in and Auga left him in a chamber all made of silver and he sat there waiting for her to return. Now in a short time she came back and her beauty dazzled him. She was wearing now a golden dress, and she looked even more magnificent, even more like a queen than she had done before. And she said, We are to be married, you and me, but you cannot go before 
the fin folk dressed the way you are here and she gave him a robe made of silk to wear she opened a great chest and took out the robe and gave it to him he undressed and he put on this fine robe and then two mermaid servants came in and they washed his feet very carefully They'd taken off his old rivelins, the leather shoes he was wearing, and his knitted stockings. And they washed his feet very, very carefully and very gently. And then they dried them very carefully as well, and they rubbed his feet and his lower legs with a sticky ointment. And then they cast the pearl dust on it, and it stuck to them, and it shone it shone like the moon shines on a frosty night on frozen snow. It was very beautiful. And then he was led by the hand by Olga into a great hall. This, she said, is the Finn folk's foy hall. And here we will celebrate our wedding feast. Well, when they entered, all the Finn folk stood up and all the mermaids there as well stood up on their legs, for they have legs there under the sea. And they all gave a great cry of welcome for him. And he was led to the top table where all the most important people were, and he was sat next to Auger. And then food was brought. There was many dishes, things that he had never seen before. There was many, many dishes of fish, of course, but there was also whale meat and seal meat and otter meat as well, all boiled or stewed in blubber, and these were set in front of him. There was no vegetables in the land of the Finfolk, in Finfolkahim, but there was different seaweeds, all stewed in fat as well, and all set in front of him. They had no bread at all in the land under the sea, but they did have ale and blood-red wine. And whenever a horn of ale was passed to him and he drank it, when it was empty it was filled up. If he drank his bowl of wine it was filled up again. Now they had eaten for a while when an old man came over to them an old Finn man who had a very long beard. In fact, his long beard was tucked into his belt. And he said, Now, Bairns, he said, it is an important part of this wedding feast. Now, I have here a bird for you to eat, an goose. That's the great northern diver. And it was all roasted, a whole roast northern diver. And he took up a large knife, and he cut it in half, right down the middle, lengthways. Half of it he put on a plate in front of Auger, and the other half was put in front of Arthur. And he said, Now it is very important that you must eat all of this goose. Every scrap of meat has to be eaten. Every bone has to be picked clean. Your future happiness depends on it, so eat well. Well, <clears throat> the last thing that Arthur was really wanting to do was to eat any more, because he'd already eaten a, a lot of that meal. And the whale and seal soup that was thickened with the uh, rows of cod 
was particularly nice, and he'd had a bit more of that than he maybe should have. Now he was feeling quite full, but he started to eat this great northern diver, this emergoose. He pulled away the flesh from the bones and started to eat it. And then he saw something very unusual. Sitting on his lap was a black cat with bright green eyes. Now, he had never seen a cat in this land before. No sign of them. And it seemed that no one else could see the cat other than him. And the cat started to pick bones from Auger's plate. Auger was eating like a hero. In fact, Arthur felt a bit embarrassed about that, because her appetite seemed to be better than his. But the cat picked some of the bones from Auger's dish and ate the meat off it. And by doing that, it broke a powerful spell that the finfolk were laying on Arthur. And then it started to eat Arthur's portion of the goose as well. And it grabbed a leg, and it started to eat the meat off the leg. Well, Arthur was grateful for the help in getting through this goose. And once it was finished, the man came back again, and he examined both dishes, and he saw that each bone was there, and each bone was picked clean. And he says, This is an important part of your wedding ceremony, and it has been passed successfully. And now I must give you the wedding horn to drink. So a large horn was handed to Auger, full of blood-red wine. And she drank half of it down. She drank it fast, and she drank it good. And then she handed it to Arthur. Now, Arthur could smell the wine, and it smelt lovely. But as soon as he raised the horn to his lips, the cat on his knee struck the bottom of the horn with its head, and it spilt the wine down the front of Arthur's chest, between his chest and his robe. Well, he cursed the cat because he wanted to drink this, and he started to try to drink again. But again, the cat hit the bottom of the horn with its head. More was spilt down his front. Every time he tried to drink, the cat knocked the horn from his hand and spilt the wine. But eventually, when the horn was empty, Arthur handed it back to the old man, and the old man looked at it and said, It is dry. And now this part of the wedding ceremony has been successfully concluded. And now we shall dance. But first, he said, and then mermaids and finmen attendants came over to Arthur and to Auga, and he carried them over to where a beautiful carpet was laid on the floor, and they were rolled up in the carpet and rolled backwards and forwards many times. They told Arthur it was to aid digestion, so that they would have no bad effects from such a heavy meal. Well, after being rolled backwards and forwards for a while, they were then led into the Finfolk's great dancing hall. Well, 
The foy hall was all made of crystal, and it was beautiful. But when Arthur came into the dancing hall, he gasped in amazement at the beauty of it, because along the walls there were curtains, all shimmering and dancing, and they were no ordinary curtains. This was no cloth. They were the aurora borealis, the northern lights, the merry dancers in Orney, and they were kept in perpetual motion, shimmering up and down by the magic of the fin folk. He had never seen anything so beautiful in his life, because they shone with all colours. There was blues and reds and greens and whites and yellows, and they were all in perpetual motion, curtains of them rising up and falling, most beautiful. And then they danced there that night, and the ale-cogs and the horns of wine were never far away, and Arthur drank deeply of them. And all the time he couldn't keep his eyes off Alga. She was so beautiful. Well, when the night was wearing done, there was two mermaids came with a cushion. And Alga sat on the cushion, and the two mermaids picked her up. And six other mermaids went in front of her, and five behind her, and they carried her to the bedchamber, a large golden room. And there Auga was undressed and put into bed. Well, then, there was the same thing happened to Arthur, only it was two fin men who carried the cushion on which he sat, and six went before him and five after them. And he was undressed and put into bed next to Auger. And then the thirteen mermaids and the thirteen fin men, they all danced around the bed, and they danced out the door, and they closed it, and they left them alone. Well, Arthur could see that the black cat was back. It ran up and chomped up onto the foot of the bed, but it climbed under the blankets, and he could feel it crawling up the bed between them. And then it seemed to change shape, and it turned into a huge long eel, and it lay between them, between Auger and Arthur. Now Arthur had been dying all night to get his hands on Auger, and he reached over a hand now to put it around her, to caress her, hold him, hold her next to him. But as he did that, the eel bit his hand. Ow! So he had to pull it back. He tried again to put his arm around the mermaid, but again the eel bit it. Every time he tried to touch the mermaid, the eel bit his hand. Well, he cursed that eel. But, you know... He had drank so much of the ale and the wine that he just fell into a deep, deep sleep. And as he drifted off, he could have sworn he had that eel whispering sweet nothings into Auger's ear. Well, they got up at getting up time. You see, there's no day or night in Finfolkaheim. And so they got up and they ate a fine breakfast. And then the young Finn man asked if he would like to accompany them and go hunting, and he said that he would enjoy that very much. 
So they set off. They rode on seahorses, and they went using otters and seals as their dogs, and they went and they hunted all the creatures in the sea, all the fish they hunted. And then they came back, and a great feast was prepared, and more drinking and more happiness. And during his time there as well, then Arthur would go and wander around and look around the place. And all the buildings were made of coral and crystal, and instead of having gardens with flowers in it, they grew brightly coloured seaweed. And the little fishes, brightly coloured little fishes, swam among the seaweed, just like birds fly among trees with us. And he was so happy there. There was a great horn as well that was positioned on a hillside. And when the Finmen blew that horn, then all their herds drove the whales in to be milked. Now the whales and the sea cows were all driven in, and the mermaids went with stools, and they sat and they milked the cows and the whales. The Finfolk value and love very much the milk of whales. Now everything was just going lovely. And Arthur spent his days sitting, cuddling his mermaid and kissing her, and just looking at her and thinking how beautiful she was and how happy he was, and how he had never been happier in all his born days. Now on Sunday, things were different. When Arthur Dearness had failed to come home from the fishing, his family and friends set off looking for him, but there was no sign of him. They found his bucket of bait sitting down at Hamaness, and no trace of him. They worried that he must have fallen in the sea and drowned, and they searched the coastline around there, but there was no sign of him. Not a hair of his head was seen. Well, news was brought to Northscale. Brought to Clara Peace. Arthur's gone, missing. Might be dread, might have drowned. We don't know. Clara didn't say a word. Clara didn't cry either. The tears wouldn't come. The tears weren't invited. She sat there like she was in a daze, in a dream. She was in a dream but the dream that she was in was a nightmare. She was shocked to the soul. She couldn't speak. She couldn't eat. And she couldn't cry. She sat there like she was dead. It was as if she had died at the moment that Arthur had. Now, there was an old woman who lived in the area, and she was Clara's Aunt Marion. Now, an Aunt Marion was a term that was applied in Orkney to spaywives, to witches, and she was seen as a spaywife, or a wise woman. It would be better to call her a wise woman, because she knew magic, but she only used it for good. She never used any magic for any ill. And she lived at a house called Grindley. 
and she was just known as the good wife of Grindley. Now, they went to Marion, and they told her what had happened, that Arthur had disappeared. Well, maybe he has, and maybe he hasn't, she said. We'll see. So, <clears throat> she went into her little cottage, and she barred the door. And what she did there that night is not for me or you to know, but magic was in the air. And she came out the next day covered in sweat, drenched in it, and tired, exhausted, like she had been toiling hard all night. And she rode her horse up to Corsdale first to Arthur's parents, and said, Do not grieve for your son. For he is alive yet, and, by God's will, we will get him back here yet. Well, they shook their heads sadly. They didn't believe their son was alive. And then she rode to Northscale, and she went to see Clara, and she said, Clara, your man is alive. I will fetch him back for you, yet I give you my word. Whether Clara ever heard those words, it's impossible to say because she just sat there, numb, silent. Now, time passed, and down in Finfokahim, when Arthur was still sitting, with his mermaid sitting on his lap. She had told him of how she loved him, how she loved him the first moment that she had seen him walking along the shore in Sandy. She had fallen in love with him as soon as she had seen him, and she wanted him, and now she had him. Well, he was saying how much he loved her, too. He didn't know that all this was spells and enchantment and bewitchment. He was in love. And he sat there with the mermaid on his knee, and he was cuddling into her, and he was stroking her long golden hair with his right hand when suddenly he realized that the cat, the black cat, had appeared again on his left shoulder. And the cat waited until he raised his right hand to stroke the mermaid's hair, and then it grabbed the index finger of his right hand between its paws, and it drew a cross on the mermaid's forehead, while the mermaid screamed, and everything went black. Mermaids cannot bear the sign of the cross, and the feel of it was pain. Well, the sound was like thunder renting the air, and Arthur landed on the floor unconscious, and when his eyes flickered open, he found himself not in Finfokahim, but lying on a flat rock at Hamanes in Sandy, just where he'd been gathering the limpets when he was carried away by Algar. His eyes flickered open, and he saw standing in front of him was Aunt Marion, the good wife of Grindley. And she said, Welcome back, Arthur Dearness. And the first thing that came into his mind was Clara. Clara Peace. Clara, he shouted. She's okay. She will be now. Now that you're back, but come with me, laddie, she said. It was you, wasn't it? 
said Arthur. It was you, the, the, the black cat under the sea. That was you. It was, she said, and her green eyes sparkled as she smiled at the memory of it all. Yes, she said, and without me you would have been held a prisoner in Finfolkaheim for the rest of your days, and would never have seen your family or Clara ever again. He mounted behind her on the horse, and he rode as fast as he could to Northscale. And he went through the door, and there sat Clara in her dumb silence, and when Clara saw him, the tears, the tears that had been locked away for so long, they burst forth, and they flowed from her eyes in torrents. She sobbed, she hugged him, she stroked his face and looked into his eyes, and the tears ran down her cheeks and splashed on the floor. I thought I'd lost you, she said. Me too, he said. It was decided that the best thing that they could do would be to get married as quickly as possible. And so, hastily, the marriage was prepared. They went to the kirk, and they were married, and people said that there was never a bonnier couple seen in Sandy as Clara Peace and Arthur Dearness. And they danced, and they feasted, and... The party for the wedding went on for three or four nights. It was a great affair, and the two of them danced together, and they loved each other, and they loved each other tenderly and deeply for the rest of the days that was granted to them, which were long and happy. Now it is said that if you go down to the rocks at Hamanus, I think I am right in saying that Hamanus was the old name for what we now call the Nessebroch. So if you go down to the Nessebroch, which was the home of Walter Trell Dennison, the antiquarian and the folklore collector who wrote this story down a hundred and fifty odd years ago. Now, if you go down to the rocks at Hamanus, in the murk of the morn, just before the sun rises, you could still hear the song of Alga echoing among the rocks, but it's not the song of bewitchment and enchantment that she used to capture Arthur Dearness. Oh, no, this is a very different song. This is a song of lost love, and heartache, and sorrow. And it can still be heard, echoing around there to this day. Although, I don't think I would have the courage, or the heart, to be able to listen to that song. 